Well, here we have uh, Elijah, and I'd like to introduce him to you. And um, we have the beginning now in 1 Kings uh, 16, and that one verse in uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Of all the prophets who appeared uh, in the story of Israel's uh, experience, none burned so radiantly and uniquely as Elijah. And one of the things that we will observe from our series is that we will learn some of the, the vital lessons to help us as Christian people to be ourselves. The thing about looking at the Bible like this and thinking about the way God used such ordinary people, the conclusion should come, then he can also use me. I hope that it will give renewed life and vigor to our faith today. Otherwise, it's just a, a history lesson. Many years ago, a shabbily dressed, unkept, elderly, frail gentleman wandered into a publisher's office in Moscow and he was clutching a manuscript and as he handed it over to the editor, he asked him if he would be willing to publish it. The editor looked at him first, then second the manuscript briefly and said, I already have far too many manuscripts to consider. I haven't the time. And the old man's face fell. Then he replied to the editor, I thought people wanted to read what I write. Sadly, he pushed the manuscript in, into its envelope, slowly shuffled towards the door. And just as he was about to leave, the editor, having a second thought, said, Well, who are you anyway? And he replied, I am Leo, Leo Tolstoy, as he disappeared into the night. A look of horror and despair came over the editor. I suppose um, Leo Tolstoy to the Russians is what Shakespeare is to the British. We judge people far too often by their outward appearance and make conclusions that are often very wrong. As it said, you can't tell a book by its cover and you can't tell a person by outward appearance in terms of character. If only he had known. If only he had known. And as we rub shoulders with people, ordinary people, we would do well to look beyond the appearance and reflect and think more deeply. So the strength of a person's character is forged uniquely on the anvil of our times. Now we shall see that Elijah's times are very different to ours. And yet God is the same as he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that perhaps is a good reason why we are here tonight and thinking about this sermon and this character. The strength of a person's character is forged on the anvil of our times. 
God is shaping us. God is putting us in situations and we may well ask, why have you put me here? Why am I in this situation like this? However am I going to cope? And I know that's certainly the case, as we shall see in the course of this series with someone like Elijah. But think for a moment of other people, briefly. Think of uh, if you have heroes outside of the Bible. Someone like Bonhoeffer, a man of immense courage who was disillusioned by the Lutheran church of which he was a pastor and stood out against political powers, particularly Hitler's regime, and paid the cost in his ultimate martyrdom that he wouldn't stay silent even though his colleagues and friends from college and in the ministry were eloquent by their silence, not that he criticized them. Or someone like Anne Frank, whose diaries have survived the regime of Nazism and inspire people not to go with the crowd. It's powerful things. And we think of ourselves here today and the different issues that, that we face. Or just think of a more modern person like Nelson Mandela, for example. If any man had the right to vent his revenge upon injustice, it was surely him. And many people genuinely believed that South Africa would be plunged into a bloodbath. A man of immense courage and refused to allow the bitterness of the past to dog his steps in the present. It's a powerful thing to say, isn't it? And, and we, we see the influence of that. It is, in effect, for ordinary people, the courage to stand against the corrosive effect of oppression, whether it's a bully in the school or a superpower leader. Ultimately, it doesn't make much difference. And surely it must be the same for us today when we begin to think about someone like Elijah. We will see him very much like us as his character unfolds. Whatever the injustices and the unfairness that we recoil from, either from other people or ourselves, to hold high the lamp of forgiveness is a very powerful light that cannot be extinguished. You remember, the, if you're familiar with the Martyr's Memorial in Oxford, um, where Ridley and Latimer are there with great injustice within the church, not in terms of the political powers, although you couldn't separate them then, I guess. Be of good courage, Brother Ridley. This day we shall light such a candle in England as shall not be put out confidence that God speaks still through his word, holding high the lamp of forgiveness that there's a greater power and a greater conflict taking place. So we are here tonight and we're thinking about Elijah. Elijah was living through dark and terrible and frightening times and it doesn't do to stand out in the crowd. And under the reign of Ahab, it was bad before, 
But now it got worse. When the people thought it couldn't get any worse, it did. And, and you have this reference there, and it's no exaggeration in our reading in verse 30. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those kings before him. If it were possible, if you read the, the last few chapters and you'll see that, the summary of their lives. They led Israel into sin. They were the blind leading the blind. And then there was this alliance, so-called marriage, between Ahab and uh, Jezebel. Now there's a, a good name. How many would you call your children, your, your little daughter, Jezebel? If you say someone's a Jezebel, it's not usually a compliment. And this lady lives up to her name as being ruthless, as you shall see in the course of this series. This unholy alliance and it was intended for one purpose. Whatever love there was between these two, it was this. And it comes out clearly, if you read these chapters, it's pure and simple. It was to wipe out once and for all the worship of Yahweh. The covenant God of the covenant people has had its day. That's it. Not very complicated. And it becomes ruthlessly apparent as this unfolds before us. Bear that in mind. It's, yes, it's political, it's power struggle, and it's, it's, it's spiritual and it's religious. To wipe out forever the true worship of the covenant God of the covenant people. Just uh, let me quote to you from the... The, the, the comment that I have here, just so that it summarizes it much better than me. Listen to this. By himself, Ahab had been a menace to God's people. He was plainly an opportunist. He seems to have few convictions or scruples. But he was not only by himself. Now he has Jezebel by his side. Using her influence, her prestige as insidiously and maliciously as possible. Her intention is to destroy the prophets of God and silence the witness. And then he says this. Having bent every effort to suppress the true prophetic activity, Jezebel imported to her court Hundreds of prophets dedicated to Baal, idolatry worship and all of its implications, morally and so on. Such zeal is so strategic a position, posed an incalculable threat to Israel's historic faith. And her name is long synonymous with wickedness. She becomes... Elijah's chiefest opponent, as you shall see in the course of the series. Well, there's the sort of introduction. And uh, I did say when we were praying with the elders that I was going to be brief tonight, and one of them had a chuckle. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't intended at all, but I will, it will be demonstrably so. So let's... If, do you ever sometimes think... Um, 
What would a person's final epitaph be? If, uh, if you look at a, a gravestone, you try to summarize someone's life. I don't think this is original to me. I can't remember. I wrote this down. And it will be this. That as far as Elijah goes, he is an uncomplicated man who loved God more than his own life. People are so complicated today. Issues are so complex. Here is a man shot through transparently himself and he genuinely and utterly loves God more than his own life. That would be a powerful epitaph were it to be true of me or you, I guess. So the scene is set very quickly. 1 Kings 17 verse 1 and you see this. He is a prophet he comes to Ahab, we're not quite sure of the context, prophets in those days were allowed to do this. And so we look at chapter 17 and verse 1 and only this verse. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, and this is it, how uncomplicated is this? As the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, Yahweh's people, with their covenant and promise that cannot be broken, as the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, I don't serve you, I serve him, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And the economy is going to collapse and there's going to be great challenges. And all of Ahab's plans are going to wither on the vine. An uncomplicated man who loved God more than his own life. So, let's look very quickly at um, his background, just to see what we're thinking about. You see then chapter uh, 17, verse 1, that Elijah's homeland gives an insight into his identity. He was a Tishbite. Uh, he was uh, from the settlers of Gilead. Uh, it's an area east of the Jordan River, known for its arid plains, a harsh environment, rocky valleys and austere mountains, jagged landscape in which you etch out a living. Here's no polished prophet from the royal courts. And these provide shelter for Elijah from the desert sun in which he lived. And it is this solitary place, its ruggedness with searing heat, that it produces a leathery, abrasive character. Humble, but of steely conviction. That's Elijah. I think you'll get to know him and get to value him and perhaps want to be not like him as such, but to take on his courage in the situation in which you find yourself. And the second thing we notice too, not only the background, but Elijah's approach. If you like, his style. You see it there in, in verse 1. Look at it. I, I, 
Here I'm speaking tonight, you're listening. What, what is this? Well, it's, it's simple. It's direct. It's free of malice and innuendo. His words show him to be a man who is zealous for God first and foremost, yet tender before him. It's one thing to be zealous and to offend. It's another to be zealous and to be tender. Few of us, I guess, few of us stand as Elijah did. And the reference there in chapter 17, verse 1, which opens the scene as he says, um, the God whom I serve. In, in some translations they say, the God before whom I stand. And, you, and you've got this idea that he has come from a greater court, he has a greater authority, and he has a greater mission than that of Ahab, who will come and go. And the Jezebels of this world will pass away. But the kingdom of our God and his Christ will continue. And that's the conviction. It's very simple, isn't it? Immensely simple. Few of us then would stand as Elijah did. Why is that? Well, think of our society for a moment. That's then, this is now. There and then, here and now. We, we've learned, consciously or otherwise, you think for yourself for a moment. Maybe it's the cumulative effect of the, the papers that we read or the, or the company we keep or, or, or the television that we watch. All of those things impact our lives. Consciously, we become the way of the chameleon. You know, it, it, it can fit into any situation. If, if the landscape is green, it's green. If it's if brown, it's brown. Just fit in. We learn to fit in. Blend ourselves into the scenery of our times. Don't stand out. Don't speak out. Don't be awkward. Do you think that our tolerance is confused with indifference? That actually we tolerate things that we shouldn't. Well, we are called to be Christian lights in a dark world. And nothing should dim that witness. That's Elijah's approach. So two things as we think about um, Elijah. The first is this. I used to remember thinking about, about, about this um, years ago as, as a challenge. And I've never forgot this phrase, phrase when we were doing missions and various other things uh, in college as students, going into many parts of Glasgow which were tough and dangerous and open-air preaching and that sort of thing, which just seems to have uh, gone out of uh, vogue at this period. One person with God is a majority. I say, no way. One person with God is a majority. Now, you might be the only, as far as you know, the only Christian in your class, or in your office, possibly even in the family. Could you say that? One person with God is a majority. You're not saying it as if you are speaking down to people. All you're saying is this, that you put your trust in Jesus Christ and he's with you. And he could be with them too, but you can only speak for yourself. So it's not an army that is sent. It is one person to challenge the powers of the day. 
the Ahabs of our day, the bullies of our day, who think that they are so clever and have so much power, whether it's at school or where we socialize or in our teams, sports, or in the community. I think that Elijah has things to say to us in the situations in which we find ourselves. To have the strength of our conviction to, to live differently to, and, and where it's appropriate to speak out. Because, first and foremost, we have uncompromising loyalty to God. Loyalty to God. This is a very strategic way to think. And just think for a moment. You or I could be God's special person for a special purpose at any given time. I could be. In fact, if we read the Bible rightly, we should be. But now we need to be consciously that. Is, has God really, is this an accident? Am I in the, the place where I am at this very moment, in this time in my life, in my family, maybe your, your grandparents or, your, your, you know, wherever you are at any given time, or thinking about your career or doing your studies, that you are God's person for a special time. And the second thing that we would learn from Elijah is this, that God is still calling people to serve him. And it's so incredibly simple, isn't it? That's what we have in chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead, you can just imagine Ahab looking down upon him, probably about his education, his appearance, and dismissing him as of no consequence. Wasted space. But he's God's man. It's a very powerful thing, isn't it? The Bible says, isn't it? Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God is still calling people to serve him. And what a surprise. What a surprise that the call of God doesn't come through the royal pronouncement. Or from the royal palace, the movers and shakers, but the arid plains of Gilead. Position. People are always jockeying for position. Status. Image is everything. That's our society. Or, no, no, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Have the right connections, you'll do well. That's, that's the way we operate. But none of these are important here. And ultimately for us, they are not important to us either. They certainly are not important to God when it comes to choosing a servant. I want to say, we've only got one cross-reference and with this we'll close. Turn to Philippians 2 and as we think about coming to the Lord's table. None of these are important for God when choosing a servant, when God has a task for us to do. And so in Philippians 2, let me just say these two things and then, then read this familiar passage. Attitude must always come before action. 
how I've said this before, and think about it, perhaps more deeply now in this context. Your personal attitude, where you are now, you personally, where I am now here tonight, my attitude, your attitude, is either my best friend or my worst enemy. We're not talking about what you do, but what you are. Those vibes, those attitudes, the things, the signals that we send out to other people. Attitude before actions, always. Always. And God is much more interested in who we are in terms of our character than what we do in terms of our service. Both are important, but the order is more important. Attitude before actions. And why do I say that? Well, you, you will see this in the course of Elijah, but look at the supreme example of a servant. Elijah says, I am the servant of the Lord, the covenant God, the God who keeps his promise. And so, in a different culture, in a different society, Paul is writing Philippians chapter 2, and he says this, and this is why I put it to you, your attitude, verse 5, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That is, that, that's a loaded statement, isn't it? Loaded. Because often the reverse is the case, isn't it? And we are given that marvellous role model of our Lord and Saviour, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, jockeying for position, prominence, status, and all that sort of stuff. And perhaps we know this extract of this great hymn. But when it comes to the end, what's the application? For the sake of time, we leave that out. When you get to verse 12, therefore. Well, there it is, you see. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. There's the statement. There's the illustration. Jesus himself. Now there's, it's over to you. Therefore, in the light of that, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. That which he did with Elijah, he does with you and me. And what? Well, again, it's a big ask, isn't it? Especially when you think that God has put you in difficult places. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. And you can almost see Paul, and this is imprisonment, it's a house imprisonment, it's not so harsh as in, in being incarcerated in a Roman cell and yet he can't see these people and he's handing on something to the next generation and you shall see that that's exactly where you have this servant of God Elijah doing that it is hard isn't it do you, do you, I wonder if you agree with this to keep your attitude healthy it's a cynical world and the cynicism rubs off on us and, and instead of us rejecting it, we reflect it. We may reflect it with, in the way we relate to our children, or the grandchildren, or, the, or, the, or people at church, or where we feel we've been hard done by, or misunderstood. 
our attitudes are our best friend or our worst enemy. And you should see that Elijah failed in given situations, as I suppose we do. And yet the covenant God, Yahweh, holds his promise good. He is good. And we can trust him. Standing alone, but not alone. For he is the servant of God. And we are, by grace, his servants too. Let's follow him and serve him. And delight to do so. And consider it all joy.